from American Awakening, this is Signs of Life. Hello, 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 America, the rest of the world. It's good to be with you all, the American Awakening squad with some special guests today. We now have the opportunity, having launched in Corona, now speaking into this America moment, we have the opportunity to speak about a book that's coming out in in, uh, eight weeks on exactly all these topics. And we're calling these special uh, segments on the book, American Awakening in Focus. And we're going to walk through the book, and that's what Jeff Bethy's going to host us with. And special guest, uh, David Bailey. David is a special partner uh, to us. And, and during the corona period, he's been joining us on daily prayer calls, which is so meaningful to us. David is playing a, a, a crucial role uh, these days in America, um, just doing the work he's been doing forever. And, and it's needed now. It's always needed. But right now, if he, the, the need for David Bailey is, is acute, special. And thank you for being you, David. Really appreciate that. Thank you, man. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. All right, Jeff, over to you, friend. Yes, I'm excited to be with you guys. If you don't know what this is or where you're tuning in from, we're going to be talking about John's book, American Awakening, uh, the next eight weeks. And I'm so excited to chat with you guys and David, John, Marissa, Calvin, Joel, whoever's kind of joining on the convo. Um, it's an honor. And I think it's it, it's crazy. I was rereading. I mean, I read this, I don't know, January earlier this year. I can't remember when when I you gave me the first peek. But to read it again and go back through it a little bit last night, just thinking about some questions. It is fascinating how something can be so pertinent when it wasn't written for that moment, you know, um, but it was and it wasn't. And so I just love that's how the Lord works. And so I'm just going to be the question asker. That's all I'm going to try to be for the next 20 something minutes. And one place I want to start and maybe David, even you can take this one just because I think your work is so specific to this regard is one question I was thinking about last night. You know, John, you use this example of the the Romans and the the concrete, right, to start off the the, the book. I love it. I remember reading that and I actually didn't, I didn't know that. I'd never actually heard that, but I had kind of actually uh, seen similar things with just their architecture and all that, where they, they, there was a regression in society after Romans because they had lost so many things, didn't know the concrete one specifically. But one question specifically now with this moment we're in with the race conversation and racial tension is my thought was, man, what is that concrete in regards to this question? Meaning what, can we point to anything in the past theologically, culturally, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the globe, is there any place we can learn from other countries that we obviously have lost the recipe for what actually is unity and for what is actually reconciliation and what is actually goodness? And so, David, I don't know if you got any thoughts on that, but when I was reading that, I was just like, what is the concrete today? What is it in the past? Is there anything we can learn or point to of like, oh, this wisdom 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 2000 years ago can maybe help us pull us through in this moment? But I don't know what you guys would say. Well, man, I guess I'll jump in. And, but uh, first of all, thanks again for having me. I would say that uh, I think the first thing to do is um, remember the social context of the, the way the scripture was written in, particularly like Jesus was under occupation of the Roman government, the, the greatest empire of his day. And so, you know, he was kind of like what black folks were like during the Jim Crow time. They were second-class citizens. And if you look at kind of Paul, who end up being like an apostle to the Gentiles. He was a Jewish person that was kind of like Jesus, like black folks uh, during the 60s, the second-class citizens, um, also um, began to like share the gospel and spread the kingdom to people who were Gentiles, people who mm-hmm. were also privileged in the society. So when you look at uh, um, the scripture in Romans, where it says, uh, uh, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, I think that's a recipe. I think it's a recipe that says, like, don't be conformed to the ways of the empire. Mm-hmm. It'll be transformed by the perspective of the kingdom of God. And it's really interesting because that text kind of 
talks out this kind of like philosophical like way of life. And then uh, if you go throughout the rest of the text, it gives some practical stuff. So like love your neighbor, um, uh, um, loving your enemy. It also brings in stuff like uh, uh, mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice and like how to be present. So you could be in this very moment and be like, why are people so angry? Why are people so sad? Uh, um, why can't we just get over this? But if you're a believer, you're called to mourn with those who are mourning. You're also called to like rejoice with those who are rejoicing. So I think those are some recipes because if we could have some more empathy, if we could kind of see our country not as the kingdom of God, but a place where it's more like Rome than it is the kingdom of God, I'll say it that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we can then know that, hey, we need to kind of bring some goodness to this context, mm-hmm. uh, not expect goodness to come out of this context. That's a good point. Well, I love too, even because Romans, you know, 12 through, I, I mean, I think the key text most people go to is like Ephesians, you know, 3, 4, 5. But yeah, you're right. Romans 12 through 15 is very pertinent to this moment in not only the vision, but then the practicals it gives. Any, anyone else? Could somebody just sort of recount for folks, the actual story that, that you're talking about, Jeff, I don't want people to miss this idea of the of the concrete. That would be well, crazy. John, it's your book. You you tell you tell us real quick. You bring us that goodness. <laughs> okay, Nick Christakis. This is this was a first. Uh, uh, I first saw it in Nick Christakis's excellent book called The uh, Blueprint. Um, and the the storyline is is as follows that um, and it's a metaphor, folks. I mean, it's not it's not a, a literal like we want good concrete. Um, that's not the point of the story. But the idea that we we uh, pick up in the book is that the the Romans had extraordinary concrete, uh, the best concrete that's ever been made. I mean, look at the Colosseum; it's still exists, right? I mean, you know, the concrete we pour now, give it 10 years and it's gone, right? And so uh, what was what was astonishing about it was that um, at some point later on in the empire, that uh, they couldn't make it anymore, that somehow lost the recipe to, to creating, you know, extraordinary concrete. And, and so, uh, and, you know, it was, it was a lost thing forever and ever and ever. And then fi- finally, recently, it was, it was unearthed. There was uh, this, this combination of water meeting the concrete formation with this aluminous tomermite. I think I've got it right, but it's close enough. Um, so basically, it was a special concoction, this a unique way of bringing it together, which eventually uh, scientists uh, unearthed, archaeologists and scientists unearthed. And the the metaphor is is as follows. Um, we are in a moment uh, in America, even before Corona, even before the last three weeks, uh, where fundamentals have been lost about who we are and why we exist and what our purpose is. Uh, and I mean, in areas like racial relations and reconciliation, I would argue the actual uh, concrete has never been poured in, in one place in time in a way that was like, enduring and we, we want to go back to that. So to answer your original question, Jeff, I don't have a time in history where I say, oh yeah, they got it completely right then. They nailed it. It's more an aspirational idea, but the concrete formula that has never yet been followed in a society or culture yet, in my experience or my knowledge anyway, is in line with what David was saying. Um, so Dave, David's bringing the concrete formula uh, never, never has never existed in a society or culture yet, but that is the concrete formula. That is exactly what um, you know. We're supposed to recall the forgotten foundations. At one point, the book was going to be titled "Forgotten Foundations," and and then help remind us of these things. Um, but uh, thank you, Dave, David, for bringing that good word. That's true. Well, I mean, I think that's a tension too, even with our culture right now. Of are we are we believing that we're trying to recover something we've lost? Or are we trying to find something that's never been there before? 
Does that make sense? And I think those two questions kind of take you different places. And especially, I think the world has a different answer to that than than Christians, you know, because at some level, we're kind of recovering what we've lost, the original vision that we see, like David was talking about, yet we have to be able to take it into a new possibility that we haven't seen yet before play out. I hate to be Debbie Downer. I don't, I, I, I don't know that I ever have been on the show, but I, 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 and I hope I'm not now, but I don't know if the brothers and sisters of faith that I hold hands with at church or that I've encountered or that I see, I don't know if I actually believe that, that we're any different from the rest of the world when it comes to- Well, yeah, I didn't to, say we look different. I just said, I think theologically, we probably have a different answer, but yeah. Well, but even, I mean, like, you know, like, I feel like- we're at this point in history, like you pull back the curtain, the jig is up, the emperor's got no clothes. You know, I, I, I think it's important that we like get really honest right now, right? Just like human nature, we are all reaching for the comfort of what we've known, as opposed to being bold and courageous and willing to step out onto some water that don't nobody say you can walk on. You know, like there, there's a, like a, there's this tension that I don't know that, Lord help, I, I pray we're even pulling in the right direction. Because, you know, some people would say we're, we're, we're sitting in, in some, you know, we're sitting in something right now where if that had been true, that we could successfully live in this tension, maybe we wouldn't be here right now. And so, you know, again, I, I, I think that I think it I think the jig is up people. I think like if we're going to go in another direction together, if we're going to be building something together, we have the perfect opportunity to lay it all on the table and just be honest that maybe even as people of faith, I I don't know that we've figured out how to hold this tension and of course like not to perfection, but like just us and ourselves and and our hearts. Are are we are we holding this tension well just even personally, you know? Maybe that's maybe that's the first step in the formula, just being actually really honest with ourselves. Do we even want this? <laughs> yeah. Do we do we even want to live by these principles, right? And and figure out what would it look like to to step into the unknown. I think. I mean, I think that's kind of key of Christian theology, right? Like uh, transformation in Christian theology goes from the inside out, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we're transforming people that hopefully transform society. I think when when you I think it could be a very dangerous thing when human beings uh, transform society with the ideal of the way the society ought to look without doing self-examination of themselves. And unfortunately, there are oftentimes are Christians that that will uh, fall into that lie, that false reality. And really, it's it's really my transformation of my own kind of soul and, and space, and to ask these hard questions like, "Hey, is this what I really want? Like what I see." Uh, in the scriptures or the idea of like unity and diversity, do I really want to see that? Well, scriptures also tell you how to get there, right? You get there through self-sacrifice. You get there through thinking about others more than you think about yourselves versus trying to conform other people into what you want them to be. And so that's a very, it's a a, a moment that makes us have to rely on God versus rely on our own strength and power, which is very different. I love that. One last thing I'll say that all you guys just remind me of at the end, Marissa specific. I think you're right, Marissa. I think there is a level at which this is, um, it's sad how long of a chance the church has had in the West to even have elementary level skills at this. Uh, and we haven't even reached that. Do you know what I mean? Like we haven't even gone to kindergarten yet. But historically, there has been pockets of Christian communities that have 
been strong witnesses of this, this moment and this theology, but we haven't tended to see that in America specifically. And I think a lot of that has to do with the, the syncretism of Christianity with American nationalism and the narrative that actually how it was born, how it was tooled. And so that's a huge problem that has to be undone, you know, and has to be kind of unwounded or a knot that has to be undone before we can even get to that kindergarten level. But here's the, here's the second question I wanted to ask you guys. And this is one I was wrestling with yesterday. What is it? Page uh, 16. So if you guys don't know, in John's book, chapter one is phenomenal. I, I love John, how you kind of lay out this almost this indictment level. I don't know if that's the right word, but you kind of, you're, you're laying out the problem of like, hey, this is a very, we are in a dark time. And, and, and there's plenty of stats to back that up with depression, anxiety, substance abuse, uh, lack of meaning, lack of purpose. But one section that was, I thought, again, pertinent to this moment, even though you weren't writing about it, that I was wrestling through is, you know, you talk about, you spent a paragraph or two on the, the age of disinformation, how we are in an age now that is really hurting us because there it's not just misinformation, but we're in an age of like disinformation. It's almost, it's fragmented, it's pulling in different ways. And I, and I think that's, man, how do we wrestle with studying ourselves to be, you know, approved and, and think and read and listen while also not making sure how easy it is to get swept up in this wave of disinformation that's taking us wrong places? And that's a question that I'm wrestling with all the time. It's like, because the only, the easy answer to disinformation is to say, we'll just be ignorant then. But that can't be the answer. That obviously can't be the answer. So what is the answer if those are kind of the two options that we know are wrong? Well, for folks um, that are being introduced to the book and the, and the concept now, the point of, of the beginning is just to talk a little bit about the badness. So the rest of it, we could talk about the goodness, the goodness. and the solutions, right? <laughs> exactly. Because, because there's, a lot of, there's a lot of books out there right now about the badness because the badness seems to be, you know, kind of all-encompassing about the spiritual, you know, darkness of the day. But on, the, on this point, before we try to figure out and, and provide solutions, um, you know, for, for folks, just to say, I mean, like, I am going to be straight up and say there is a, a, a dark spirit uh, running amok in the West right now of people who don't even want to figure out what's true. And, and that's, that is a, that's a spiritual blindness that, look, I, I'm not blaming anybody in particular, but it's, it's, it's basically, it's, it's so pervasive. And, and I don't see people of faith um, being much better. So, I mean, what, what, what are the first principles of being, uh, you know, a child of God? Someplace right up at the top has to be a desire to be to to be truthful, right? Some sometimes the right at the top has to be like to honor something which is true versus something that's untrue. That's part of um, you know what what makes us human beings. Um, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis said, you know, ask the question: Are we are we are we men or are we rabbits? It, it, <laughs> which is an odd formulation, but the idea is like, hey, we're we're human beings. Human beings want to be truthful, and, and that's what we got. It's in our bones. Um, and and right now, people are like, ah, whatever. I don't I don't I'm not looking for truth. Yeah. So yeah, that's something I'm wrestling with right now, especially with, cause you, you want to learn about certain issues and you want to dig in, but how do you make sure that you're, you know, leaning in the right way and not kind of being disinformed by a narrative. But I do agree. There's a powerful spirit on both sides that just pushes the narrative rather than truth. Well, if there is a truth and that truth means that you in whatever you are in some way needs to shift, is it really in your interest to believe that there's a truth. And so like, I think, right, there's a, there's a, when you talk about like a spiritual blindness where it's like, we don't even want that. That to me takes me right back to scripture in terms of, you know, uh, without a vision, the people cast off restraint. Like there, there's like, what is this larger vision that we are really believing for, that we're buying into, that we are living for 
so that you would even be willing to lay down your stuff to hold up the mantle of a truth, you know, of something that is like, maybe not in your interest, but, you know, come what may, I'm going to hold it up, you know? What about if it says, the tr- and the truth will set you free? So then do we even want, do we want freedom? Like real freedom? Do we even want to step into that? Because again, if we're, we're I, I absolutely agree. If we haven't even tasted that yet, what true freedom is like. And so to, to step into that, but we have yet to taste. Do do we even want that? And I think I think the misinformation, the lack of truth, even points to that. David, how, how do you answer this one, David? Because you know you're you're on the ground, boots on the ground, doing specific work, racial reconciliation. That's one issue of many, but that issue specifically suffers from disinformation. How do you even like begin coaching people in a on a on a one v one scale of just like hey that you just you literally just kind of believe crap. <laughs> You know, like that's just like not good or helpful or. Well, I mean, I think, well, one of it is that particularly since I do this work amongst Christians, I actually don't use the phrase that I use do the work of racial reconciliation. Mm. I love people like, hey, I do the work of reconciliation and we apply it to maybe race, class and culture. Amen. Yeah. But I think there's like a, I use a theological term, the world was whole and then it was broken. And ever since like Genesis 3, God has been in, in, in the process of trying to bring healing and repair and, and uh, to the broken world that we're in. And so, and many of us are like, if you imagine reconciliation, almost like a puzzle piece, and there are all these different fracture pieces, like each of us have our own piece that we need to put together. And I think a lot of times we could dismiss one another because your piece doesn't look like my piece. And so mm-hmm. I say that your piece isn't legitimate. My piece is the only one that is legitimate. But really, God's the one that's in the big picture, and, it, and God's the one that's putting us all together in ways that we it should fit. And so when it comes to practically, like, I mean, whether it's from somebody on the left or the right or somebody consistent moderate, whether politically or theologically liberal or progressive or conservative, what I found is that more people are concerned with being right than they are being righteous. And when you're a Christian, you need to be more concerned about being righteous than being right. Yes. And so this is where the importance of like, right, like nobody cares if Jeff or David, like God doesn't care if Jeff or David is right or wrong in a situation. <laughs> What God cares about are like, are we positioning ourselves to be transformed, right? Yeah. And, and that transformational process should be the thing that David and Jeff should be concerned about when we have conflict. And to be able to, to realize that Jeff and David doesn't have the corner on truth. Like whatever situation is going, going on, I do not have the 100% absolute thing of truth, even though I feel like I do. <laughs> but I need yeah. to, like, the, the, just tell me that I don't. So I need to be a seeker mm-hmm. of truth and that God's reward of those that, that, that are diligently seeking. God, you know? And so mm. one of the things that we really try to do is really try to help people to say, like, hey, you know, this isn't from the scriptures, but this is from my grandma. She says, the biggest room in the world is room for improvement. Mm. So <laughs> I try to help you understand, like, hey, you know, you might be doing the best as you can, but the biggest room in the ro- world is room for improvement. And if you're listening to the same stories about mm. everything that's going on, and that answer is, like, right now, we don't say, like, the answer is this particular problem. The answer is you. Like, if you're a Republican, the answer is you. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're, if you're white the, and the problem with race is you, you know? And, and and you can't change that, but you can change philosophy. You can change thought. You can change behaviors. There's a lot that you can change. And that's the thing that we try to do is try to say, hey, the biggest room is room for improvement. If you're Christian, we're all supposed to be about transformation. And we don't have absolute 
100% understanding of all truths. And so let that out, the whole, work with the Holy Spirit to make yourself transform. That's good. Before, John, I think we're going to toss back to you with any closing thoughts, but I, I love that, David. Two things that stood out to me right there is what I was hearing you say too, which I think Christians need to heed more, is you can be you can say the right thing as an agent of darkness. Do you know what I mean? Meaning like you can be saying truth, but being from a very wrong kingdom. You know what I mean? And I think Jesus was clear on that. I mean, there was a scholar I read a long time ago that had such a fascinating point where he basically said on paper, Jesus was exceptionally close to the Pharisees. That was actually probably who he was closest to theologically out of Sadducees, Zealots, et cetera. But obviously when you read the text, they're like the biggest enemy um, because of the way at which they would, they would go about things, right? Because of the way at which their truth was cludgeoning people. And so I just think that's a fascinating thing to think about. And then second, I loved what you said. There is an element where truth is not relative, but truth is like, uh, what's the right word? Like uh, it, it factors different ways. Do you know what I mean? And the whole picture is beautiful. I think it was A.W. Tozer who used the example of a diamond, right? Like depending on how the sun hits that diamond, it's going to shoot out different ways, but it's one diamond. Um, and that's the character and nature of God, but also the character and nature of truth. And I think that's a really powerful point. So that's a good reminder. But yeah, John, what do you think? You want to close us out? I think um, what, one thing that occurs as we shift gears here is, um, you know, Calvin said, you know, is is the truth will set you free? Do we want do we want to be set free? Do we want truth? You know, well, we've talked about this a lot on our show that that path to truth is death to self. <laughs> the path to freedom is dying to yourself, and nobody wants to die themselves, even though that's the path to freedom. And, and that is, of course, is all caught up and 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 bound up in all the all the observations David made, right? Which is like, look, I mean, bottom line, everything David just talked about was, you know, the, 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 the umbrella it's under is dying to yourself, right? You know, it's like, okay, it's not me. I'm not the right answer. And uh, finding the path, um, which is to give up your own life. Uh, you know, he, he will save his own life, will lose it, you know, all that sort of thing, unless, you know, seed falls to the ground. Uh, all those wonderful words of the New Testament. Um, that is the path to the truth. That is the path to freedom. Uh, and, and are we willing to, to, to go that path? I, I don't know. I mean, if you look out at this moment right now and you see the vitriol and the hate and all that stuff, you can almost look behind that person's eyes and say, they don't want to die. That's what it is. And that's if they don't know the Lord, then you understand it. But that is, man, it, it, that's the counterintuitive nature of the kingdom of that if when you die, then you resurrect and then there's new life and then there's new creation. And, and may, maybe that'll inform all of us, not only for our own decisions um, going forward, anybody who's listening, but also maybe your prayer life um, for the, pe- the people that are on the other side. And and help them to see the path of true freedom. I, I look, I, I'm just, like so many other great moments and doing the show with you guys. I, I arrive at a new, a new place, um, and this is a new place. I never thought about it that way. All right, so the person is unwilling to die. They're holding on tight. They don't. They they don't want true freedom. Um, maybe I can pray for true freedom for them. I don't. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. That's a powerful thing, and I I just I don't want us to lose that right because we're we're people who believe in the power of prayer. And, and we're looking out, we're seeing a lot of pain, we're seeing a lot of fear about a future that no one knows is to come. We don't, I mean, if you've never tasted true freedom, you don't know how really good it is. You're just kind of hoping, right? But like, Lord, help us to pray. Help us to really be praying for ourselves and each other um, for, you know, for for what we really need, for, for you know, the, the peace and the freedom to let go. Well... Thank you, Marissa. That's such a good word. And and I and I, I like to ask everybody out there, um, you know, to to pray for uh, 
David, who's doing this every hour in the hour um, these days. He always has been, but right now the, the burdens are heavy on, on uh, uh, brothers and sisters that are on the, in the front lines of this. Um, some of my teammates are in the same same uh, same category. I ask for, my, for prayer for my teammates that are carrying enormous burdens and trying to build these bridges right now. So God bless you, David Bailey, um, and uh, thank you for what you're doing. Um, and friend, uh, just keep, keep on keeping on, man. If you haven't run into David Bailey before, you're going to see a whole lot more of him out there, and, and hopefully you'll see a lot more of him in our world as well. All right, we're going to move you off over to the music. Thank you, Jeff Bethke. Thank you, David Bailey. Let's move over to the music. Dan Hazeltine and Brandon, come on in, friends. Hey there. Great to be here with you from Nashville. Uh, my musical guest today... Uh, is a good friend of mine. Brandon Heath is with us. And uh, uh, just a little about Brandon. I'm sure you probably already know about him, but uh, but he's got quite a few records out, six studio albums, Grammy-nominated, Dove Award-winning. When I think about Brandon and his songwriting, um, a few words come to mind, but one is very personal. His songwriting is uncluttered, and it's very confessional. And um, like he just, he finds a way to say the things, uh, the way that he sees the world, um, it, just in, in the kind of a language that we really can can understand and take in. And uh, I've always loved that about Brandon. Beyond that, Brandon is just one of those guys uh, as an artist who's looked at the world carefully, um, that he's also gotten himself invested in it, um, always willing to help out uh, on an initiative or things that make the world a better place. Let's welcome Brandon Heath to the show. Brandon, how are you today? I'm I'm doing great. So Brandon, uh, a lot of the times, the first question I've been asking artists, because you know we started this whole show around the COVID-19 crisis when everyone was, was, was really kind of stuck in their homes. And for artists, a lot of times it's been very an anxious season. It's been a time where, uh, you know, a lot of people would think, well, you're not touring anymore. So maybe you're just working on music or able to just spend some time really honing your craft. But, but it's been a difficult season for a lot of artists to really feel like they could get their footing. It's been unsettling just as it has been for everyone else. So, so I like to ask, um, just how has this season been for you? Has it been a creative time for you? Um, has it been an anxiety-producing season? Yeah, What's it been like for you. That's a that's a great question, Dan. Um, at the very beginning, it was there was a lot of anxiety, um, which which I don't mind confessing and sharing that I I I lean into my anxiety more than I probably should, and lean in meaning I let it I let it rule me more than I should. I think like all of us, we just didn't know what to do with this. We've we've never experienced, I mean, many of us have not in our lifetimes uh, have experienced a pandemic that, that shuts down the country. And then you throw in all my concerts canceled or postponed. And so you, you start to factor in, okay, well, this is my livelihood as well. I'm okay to stay home, but I'm not making any money staying home. So you start, you know, you go down the spiral of, of fear. Yeah. And I did that at first. I even spent about three days in my room quarantined uh, because I I had a severe headache. And and I had, I had just been somewhere previous to lockdown. I shook about 250 hands. Uh, it was a big meet and greet. And so, you know, who knows if I had it or not. My poor wife, I, I heard her with the girls. I slept in the, the guest bedroom and I would hear her waking up the, the girls in the morning just wanting to help. But, 
you know, thankfully yeah. I got through that, that very short, you know, two week fear mongering, you know, season. Yeah. And I just kind of landed in this place of acceptance and that there is literally nothing I can do about any of this. And so really this whole season has turned into um, uh, a season of, of trust. And, and is God really bigger than all of this? I, th- I think he is. I believe that he is. Yeah. Um, and so I have to lean into that. And I'm actually really thankful for that. Yeah, that's a good that's a good lesson to kind of come to come away with in this season. I think we're all having to um work those muscles of faith and and just trust that the story that's being written um is bigger than all of us and we can't necessarily decide where it's going. Um it's not a choose your own adventure where we are just part of something bigger. So, yeah, I agree. Well, Brandon, I uh you know, I've loved your music for a long time. Uh, been just a fan, and and would love to hear you play some music for us today. Do you are you are you able? You've got a guitar there, so I, I have a guitar. I, I would love. I would love. I'm way better at playing music than I am talking. So, uh, I, I figured maybe I would start with one that 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 some of your viewers and listeners would know, and it's kind of timely for what's going on in the world right now. So I'll do this one. down from a broken sky traced out by the city lights my world from a mile high best seat in the house tonight touchdown in the cold black top hold on for the sudden stop breathing the familiar shock of confusion and chaos all those people going somewhere why have I never cared Give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the brokenhearted Ones that are far beyond my reach Give me a heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Yeah 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 See a girl in our eyes me That's the best to smile in me To hide what's underneath There's a man just to a right Black suit and a bright red tie Too ashamed to tell his wife He's out of work, he's buying time All those people going somewhere Why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the brokenhearted Ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Yeah Couple of million eyes Just a moving past me by I swear I never thought that I was wrong I want a second glance So give me a second chance To see the way you 
never seen the people all along. Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted. Was it far beyond my reach? Give me your heart for the ones who got it. Give me your eyes so I can see. Yeah, that's that's the kind of song that matters this season. Uh, something we all need. That's a that's a great prayer for all of us. Wow. Um, so, Brandon, uh, I, you've got something new coming out, right? Is this is this uh, when I was talking to you, the, you, you're kind of alluding to to get ready to have some new music out. I um, yeah, I'm working on a new record, but I just put a, a single out um, about a month ago. Yeah, my first independent release, actually, which is a big deal for me. Yeah. So no, no more label involvement, just kind of your own thing. You know, I don't know if, if no more is the case, but for right now, uh, I'm <laughs> yeah. flying solo uh, with, with, without a label. It's it's actually kind of fun. And that's been pretty freeing for you. If you has it felt pretty liberating? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It's very liberating. I could literally put a song up right now, and it would be out to the world tomorrow. And that is actually an exciting place to be as an artist. You know, no matter how you feel about technology these days uh, with with music and distribution. But for me, it's actually a really encouraging time. Um, you know, I have actually been and you asked earlier, I, I've, I've felt more creative in this season uh, than usual. And so that's actually been very great Good. for, you know, for creativity and, and songwriting and producing songs, which has been which has been fun. Nice. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad for that. Uh, always can use more Brandon Heath music in the world. So do you got time to play one more for us? Abs- absolutely, I do. do that? Yeah, you know, I actually tuned into the show uh, from the beginning, and I, I really appreciated the, the conversation, you know. Um, I, I think truth is, a, is an interesting topic, you know. Uh, f- for me, I, 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 want, I want the truth. I've always wanted the truth. Um, but I don't know that I've always been true to myself. And and so I think what's going on in the world really makes us, um, it causes us to ask ourselves questions. And uh, which I think Jesus was in the habit of, of asking us questions. And somewhere, somewhere in there where the Holy Spirit lies is the truth. And so I think we've just got to be willing to access that truth. I'm a... I'm a people watcher. I haven't been traveling a lot, but I love to watch people in airports and uh, in train stations. And one of my favorite things to do is to ride the train in Chicago. So this is that. This is about that experience. It's called Faces on a Train. I'm the first one on at the Ashland station. Got a long way to go to my destination. 
waves run in the same old sea Right in the middle where I can see Faces on a train Faces on a train There's a woman thumbing paper in a company folder Black leather bag hanging off her shoulder With a pinstripe suit and her hair pulled back She's a company woman on the management track Faces on the train Faces on the train All just faces on the train There's an old man sitting with his hands in his lap From a ticket tape world where they all wore hats and I wonder why he rides alone If there's anybody waiting when he gets back home Faces on the train Faces on the train I don't know you, I don't know you I don't know nothing about you you don't know me, you don't know me, you don't know nothing about me. I wish I knew you, wish I knew you, wish I knew something about you. I wish you knew me, I wish you knew me. Faces on a train. Faces on a train. slide open and a couple walks in He hangs on the rail, she hangs on to him And I can't be sure but it might be love Cause the old man smiles and his eyes well up Faces on a train there early but we're always on time we'll go our own way at the end of the line and you don't know me and I don't know you but we share the same air for a minute or two on a train faces on a train Wish I knew you, wish I knew you, wish I knew something about you. I wish you knew me, I wish you knew me, I wish you knew something about me. All just faces on a train. Yeah.
Thank you. Thank you so much, Brandon Heath, for being with us today. It's uh, just good to see you. Good to know things are moving forward and you're being able to be creative. Uh, we look forward to keep hearing new music from you. So thanks again. Thank you, guys. I guess we'll kick this back to John. Thank you, Brandon. Really appreciate it. Brandon, David, Dan, everybody. Uh, so good to be on the air with you. Uh, so good to do this show. So encouraged every day that I show up with uh, this wonderful set of friends. I hope it encourages you some too uh, through this darkness, through the despair, that God still got it. We're living to find that life that is truly life and and God promises. Asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knocking the door shall be open to you. So keep on asking and seeking and knocking, it will be found. Um, so thanks for being with us all. Uh, God bless you and keep fighting the good fight out there until we're with you next. Signs of Life is produced by American Awakening a campaign for the soul of America committed to slaying the giant of death and despair in this American moment. Signs of Life is made up of Jefferson Bethke, Dan Hazeltine, Josh Jacob, John Kingston, Joel Searby, Calvin Lee, Christian Palacios, Marina Pappas, Andy Peterson, and me, Marissa Prince. The show is produced from our headquarters in Lexington, Massachusetts, And you can learn a whole lot more about the movement by visiting our website, AmericanAwakening.us. Relevant Podcast Network.